Good morning. Okay, I'll just get myself organized here. And shove this in a pocket. Thank you so much for having me here today. It really is good uh, to be in proximity. And to those who are seeing me in other ways, uh, next time, hopefully. <laughs> um, I do, first of all, I want to bring greetings to you from our Multiply family. That's our global mission uh, branch of the Mennonite Brethren. We serve all over the world, uh, near and far. And we want to say thank you for your love, for your prayers. And we are praying for our local church as well. So as you pray for us, please know that there is prayer coming back your way uh, that God would uh, fulfill the great gift of his love in you and through you. It's so good to be together. And thanks for your support. You support us. You support the Penners, the Gutierrezes, and uh, the Tisons. And we're so thankful and as well, in a season of lots of turmoil, um, please feel free to check out our website where we're updating information about the pastors who serve with us in our MB churches in Ukraine who have chosen to stay and uh, provide resourcing for the people in their communities. Uh, there's so much going on around the world, but come get onto our website and we've got updates for you on ways you can pray and connect um, in, in a timely way. So thanks for your support and care. And I also want to say thanks for those of you who have been praying specifically for our family as we... Uh, uh, I'm usually pretty good at this. <laughs> um, as we journey through Philip's um, uh, diagnosis of ALS and all the repercussions that, that um, have been sort of unfolding with that very close to our heart stories. And I can tell you, we've spent a lot of years investing and depositing in God's goodness and faithfulness. It hasn't been a sweet ride, my entire faith journey. But wow, I'll tell you, when the when the tough stump comes, uh, we've got a pretty decent deposit in that bank and we're reaping some pretty gracious and power-filled uh, returns on our investment, <laughs> if I can put it that way. And I know a lot of that we experience because of the prayers of people and because of God's deep and powerful presence in us. So, so thank you for praying for us. God is faithful, and we know that um, Philip's on an assignment he didn't anticipate, but God's got plans for him. And so we just continue to discern how to um, bring good news together with, um, with some very serious physical limitations and a story that isn't done yet. So thank you. Thanks for your prayers. So this morning, the title of the little bit I want to share is called The Power of a Good Grip. Um, there may be many things that come to your mind when you hear that, but in many respects, it could be my life message. Uh, it's all about the hand that holds mine. And I think of how God has led me into his word to teach me and to disciple me. He's led me into different opportunities to share good news. 
Uh, and he's just led me to friends. He led me to Philip. Um, I'm really glad I was holding his hand for that one. Uh, to uh, jobs, opportunities, all sorts of experiences through my life. It's been uh, in the firm grip of my father, God. And even when my hold has been a little bit wimpy, as I've been uh, independent and wrestled with my own stuff, uh, he hasn't let go. It's not like a Dwayne the Rock Johnson grip, where I'm like, you know, it's just, hey, I've got you, don't worry. And so this morning, I want uh, to talk a bit about um, that grip. And one of the ways in which uh, God um, has reminded me and uh, shepherded me, and my prayer is that it's an invitation for all of us to uh, just be a bit more richly aware of what God provides for us in that tender grip of his hand. So I want to start with a story. And I have told this story so many times, so forgive me if you've heard it before. But honestly, who knew when I was 11 years old and I had this experience that it would be like my number one sermon illustration? I didn't. (laughs) So when I was 11 years old, uh, my family moved to Canada from New Zealand, where my parents had been serving uh, with OMF, uh, with international students. Prior to that, um, they had been in Japan. So I'm a missionary's kid. So we moved to the terrifyingly huge city of Toronto. And um, for some crazy reason, my parents thought it would be totally fine for their 11-year-old to take her three younger siblings to a park, like in Toronto, and we would play for the afternoon just um, to let them unpack. So I took my siblings, made it to the park, crossing big intersections, and when we got there, it was this lovely grassy space with trees and benches and some pathways. And so, um, you know, you jump off and on the park bench, you run around the trees, you roll in the grass, and then my siblings were getting super bored, and they're like, let's go over there, because you could tell that the grass extended and it was going to go down somewhere. But I, in my infinite wisdom, said, absolutely not. I can't see what's over there. So you are staying right here where I can keep you safe. <laughs> Does that sound familiar to anybody? <laughs> and so we stayed there. We literally stayed there. And eventually, we walked home. So as you can imagine, the next time we went to the park, we went with my dad. And I think the paths in that first section of the path were truly just to get us straight to the edge of the grass. And he took me by the hand and just strode straight to the edge of the hill. So you look down over the hill and over on this side, soccer fields, huge tennis court that in the winter was skating rinks. And this entire side at the bottom of the hill an adventure playground with like every possible kind of amazing kid thing that you could do. And of course, you know, we just tore down the hill and, uh, you know, we, the only other times in our lives we spent on the top was as a means to get to the bottom of the hill, including tobogganing in the winter. And it was amazing There I was, possibly stuck at the top of the grass because I went only as far as I could see and what I was willing to risk with my siblings. But in the hand of my dad, wow, we went straight into an adventure that was much more than we could have possibly anticipated. Sound familiar? We can be quite content with the territory we know, but in the hand of God, he leads us into possibilities that are way bigger 
and sometimes harder than we imagine, but we've got our hand held in a good grip. This morning, I'm inviting him to lead us into a scripture that I think is pretty critical to our spiritual health and the ministry he calls each of us to. So hold on tight because he's holding on to you and let's go. Let's pray together as we move into the scripture. Father, take us by the hand today. Open up your word to us. Open up our hearts to you for your glory and for the hope of the nations. We're asking these things. Amen. This may be not, uh, not be your typical multiply mission talk. We will get to some stories of the globe after we've gone through the scripture, but all our discipleship is unto experiencing God's good news and sharing it. So that's definitely my prayer today. So the scripture this morning actually comes from Psalm 51, David's confession after unfaithfulness and murder, um, allowing or uh, orchestrating the death of Uriah. It's where he's pouring out his heart to God. And there are three specific requests he makes um, in the course of uh, many different requests to God that I want to look at today. But first, I have to raise this so I can actually see my notes. So much better. Um, so I'm going to read, I've, I've printed out my scriptures in my notes. I'm going to read to you a few verses from Psalm 51. And there are some passages in John that we'll look at a little bit later. Uh, but I'm going to use the New Living Translation today. So I'm a little bit more, um, it is a translation, but a little bit more uh, colloquial in language. I'm reading verses 9 and 10, and then 12 and 13. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. So the three requests we'll look at today. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, renew a loyal, or we're many of us familiar with right spirit within me. So remove the stain of my guilt. Well, as I mentioned, I'm an MK. And so there was a season of my life where I lived in New Zealand. And I want to share this story that uh, happened to me when I was about nine or 10 years old. I was in my class, and I got chosen by my teacher to take a note to the teacher in the portable. Back in the day, there were no intercom systems or classroom phones or, like, you know, shudder the thought and internet. So, so uh, it was little human power that trafficked all the notes around the school. And so there I was running out, very excited to be chosen to give a note to the teacher in the portable at the end of the field. Well, it wasn't until I exited the portable that I realized I was standing at the bottom of the portable steps in wet concrete. So I ran back to my classroom and went inside, didn't say a word, sat down and hoped it would all blow over until lunchtime. 
when I saw two of the kids from that portable checking everyone's shoes to see who had made the footprints in the wet concrete. I was a very shy child. Maybe hard for you to believe that, but I was a very shy child and I was absolutely terrified. So I did this in the grass as much as I could to get any sign of concrete off the bottom of my shoes. And sure enough, I passed the test. They checked my shoes, no concrete residue, and I was home free, except for my little heart. (laughs) Oh, probably for about mm, 10 years after that, I confessed before God standing on that wet concrete and not telling them that it was me. Pretty much any time you were at a service and they asked you to bow your head and, you know, if there's anything you needed to share with God, up it came. <gasps> there is a stain on the concrete at St. Thomas's School in Auckland, New Zealand, and they're my shoes. They're my feet. And I was plagued by that. Now, I know that, that you know, we sort of go, oh, you know, don't worry about it. That was your childhood. But there was a sting and a stain on my conscience because I knew um, I, had, I had transgressed. And the guilt of it just stayed with me. Um, has that ever happened to you? Where something that you've done or said and you just can't take it back and you haven't done that gorgeous gift of of confessing and repenting so it's just stuck with you I was haunted by that stain Um, and David gets it right he's haunted by the stain of his sin he's haunted by the stain of it and he's just pleading God remove it well what does scripture say about that because David has confessed I confessed to God Psalm 103, for his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. That is a great distance. It's a hike I would never want to take, you know. Hey, go this way until you reach west. Well, not for you, you know. I mean, it's a hike that would never end. So far has he removed our transgressions or our sins from us. Psalm 32. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. Albert Haas, an author who wrote Living the Lord's Prayer, The Way of the Disciple, says, Praying for forgiveness is a vivid reminder that God frees us from debilitating guilt and forgets our past. No sin is written with indelible ink. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that prayer, isn't he? It's because of the cross. It's because he took the guilt of our sin and overcame the power of sin and death, that we even have this hope of our stain being removed. But we live under the weight of it, don't we? Even after we know we've been forgiven. I want to say that quote again from Albert Haas. Praying for forgiveness is a vivid reminder that God frees us from debilitating guilt and forgets our past. No sin is written with indelible ink. And if we don't grasp this fundamental truth that we live forgiven and stain-free, 
we'll find ourselves consistently conflicted and living in defeat. David knew that. It was his first plea in that section, remove the stain of my guilt. Keith Green, I don't know, is anyone familiar with Keith Green? He's one of my husband's like big time faith heroes. He like got the magazines and you name it. He um, uh, penned and sang these lyrics out of the song, When I Hear the Praises Start. My son, my son, why are you striving? You can't add one thing to what's been done for you. I did it all while I was dying. Rest in your faith. My peace will come to you. For when I hear the praises start, I want to rain upon you blessings that will fill your heart. I see no stain upon you because you are my child and you know me. To me, you're only holy. Nothing that you've done remains only what you do for me. Truth. Truth to soak in. Truth to live out of. Truth to share. That second phrase is create in me a clean heart. And if you're a a mom like me, I think clean, yes, that's something I'm doing a lot. Uh, And I just want to say, even with young adult children, hope you're not watching, um, uh, you know, like it just never ends, really, truly. Uh, But we're not talking about, you know, a a quick little spring clean here. That word create for the clean heart uh, is actually the same word, the same uh, root that's used in Genesis when we talk about God creating. And God creates something out of nothing. So it's a creation of something brand new. And as David is crying out to God, he's not saying, hey, I'd like a refurbished model of my heart. I'd like an upgrade. I'd like it sanitized. I'd like it renovated. He's saying, my heart doesn't work. I need the one you choose for me. Would you create, give me a heart out of you? There's so many scriptures about the heart God gives us, you know? Take my heart of stone, give me a heart of flesh, a heart that beats with God's passion and vision. Oh, um, I am hidden with Christ in God. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. This sort of replacement of our heart for the heart God gives us. The identity that God has formed for us. And David cries out, I want to live out of the identity you choose for me. Boy, that's contested these days, isn't it? So many voices telling us who we are or who we should be. The expectations we place on ourselves, and then, and then this, this terrifying pressure to actually choose our identities, to, to figure out who we are from, from uh, um, our own ability to assess our broken selves. Help. God knows me. God actually knows exactly who we are and not only knows it, but creates us for a life of deep fulfillment, of joy, and a life to be shared. I mean, I'll say in our, in our story right now, we're, we're experiencing, I mean, it's hard. It's hard. Um, uh, to, 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 to know that, that we, we require a God to intervene with a miracle 
um, for Philip to be healed. We know that. But wow, he's given us his heart. So we have such a profound sense that we're on mission and deeply loved because he's the one who's naming our identity. He's the one who's telling us who we are. I recently took a course, actually during COVID, an online course with some colleagues on understanding your identity. And, and in the course of it, we prayerfully um, discerned and, and did an inventory of, over the course of our lives, key scriptures that people have spoken over us or that have had profound meaning, key Bible stories and characters that have resonated with us, experiences that we've had, opportunities and doors that God has opened, and just times in prayer listening to the Holy Spirit. And you know... Uh, the, as, as we went through that, God reminded me who he made me to be. And it wasn't all stuff that I was actually embracing, like fearless adventurer. I thought, oh, I really forgot that one. <laughs> I feel anything but a fearless adventurer. And yet, and yet God reminded me as he recounted my history and spoke into my life, that's who I made you, remember a delighted in daughter that I'm celebrated just because I belong to him and I took his hand. Remember that, Robin? And sanctuary builder. All those years that I just have loved to uh, lead worship and invite people into a deeper sense of the loving presence of God and the move of his spirit. Remember, Robin, I created you to help people know my presence. Like, that's who you are. And, and rekindling a deeper sense of who I am has been powerful uh, in a season where there's so much noise. So David says, God, I need the heart you choose for me. I need the identity you formed for me. Create in me a clean heart. Do you know who God made you to be? Do you remember what he calls you? We're going to look at a couple of sort of application or sort of how-tos before um, our time ends today. But that third one, the third request that David makes before God is renew a right or loyal uh, spirit within me. This is his request. And renew here can be translated a few ways, but one of them is like the Isaiah 61.4 passage, um, I will rebuild the ancient ruins. I will repair the cities that were destroyed. This sense of taking something that was once beautiful, but has been corrupted or broken down or hurt. And David knows my spirit my deep devotion to God, and we know David's story. He is a man after God's own heart. He's beloved. He is um, precious to God, and he knew that. But he knew he needed to be renewed because he had um, need, needed some rebuilding, some repair. It's like that well had slowly drained dry. 
And as I reflected on that, I found myself thinking of Jesus' teaching, particularly uh, some of the ways he spoke uh, to the people in the temple and to his disciples in the book of John. And I want to uh, just read out a couple of those little passages on renewing, ongoing refilling. Uh, the first is uh, found in the Samaritan, in the story of Jesus meeting the Samaritan woman at the well, a woman whose spirit was in darkness, whose own well was dry. And he says to her, as they've been talking about getting a drink of water, Jesus replied, verse 14, anyone who drinks this water in the well will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life a renewing resource in them. And then again in John 7, when he's speaking uh, at the temple during the festival. On the last day, the climax of the festival, this is verses 37 to 39 in chapter 7, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from their heart. And when he said living water, he was speaking of the spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. On that John 7 passage, N.T. Wright, a British theologian who I really like, <laughs> says, we go in thirsty and we come away rivers. The temple promise has been democratized. Living water is available to everyone and new creation will flow out of everyone who drinks. How? How through the work of the Holy Spirit in us, renewing us. David cries out to God, renew a right spirit within me. And God's answer to the world is, here I am. Here's my spirit in you. And it's not a one-time deal. It's a spring of living water that will constantly refresh and renew you. God's answer to that request is himself. So how do we keep in step with God? What's our role in holding his hand? These requests that David's made to God. How do we live in the confidence that the stain is God, gone in the true identity that God forges for us in step with his spirit being refilled, renewed? What's our response to the hand that holds ours as he invites us into this? Well, I want to consider three things briefly uh, before I show a mission video. The first is the grip of repentance. If I want to live in the freedom of my stain being removed from me, then, then God invites me to bring my sin before him and to confess it. So that's a morning practice for me. I use the Lord's Prayer a lot as a template in my morning prayer. I find it really helpful because the themes just sort of take, take me on sort of my, a, a journey with God from uh, his glory uh, to my need and repentance to his empowering and to praise. So coming before him every day 
in confession and inviting him to shine his light on the places where we've broken covenant with him. And again, at the end of the day, I am sure that you you um, have heard and many may practice at the end of the day, Lord, where were those moments of sweet connection with you? And where were those moments where I broke faith and broke covenant with you? And bringing them back to God. And you know, as we do that, his truth becomes more and more tangible. It becomes more and more accessible. We believe more and more, my stain has been removed. So that grip of repentance, Acts 3, 19 to 20, now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. And then there's the grip of intimacy or friendship with God. Deepening our friendship with God through time spent in his presence, reading, listening, being still in community. It's one of the ways he reveals to us who we are in the gift of relationship. You know, we can think all sorts of things about ourselves until we're hanging out with a good, honest friend. And in the course of that, we find out, hmm, maybe a little bit more about who we are than we wanted to, and yet it enables us to grow. So too, as we engage in our intimate relationship with God, he reveals to us who he calls us in those places and those ways in our lives where we're actually not living out who we really are, the disconnect. Um, in Mark 12, Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? And what does he say? He says, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. That's the kind of deep, intimate engagement he wants with us. He wants our heart, our mind, our soul, our strength, that deep and rich friendship with us. And then that final grip is the grip of someone else's hand. God has one hand, but whose hand are you holding? The second part of that greatest commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these, says Jesus. So my dad held my hand as we were going over that hill. Although I was the oldest, I was potentially the most timid. <laughs> but whose hand was I holding? Well, my youngest sister, in our family of four kids, I took the youngest and my next sister down took the brother. That's kind of how we looked after each other in the family order. And so I had my little sister's hand and we boot down that hill. No one's left behind. So whose hand am I holding? I want to show you a brief video of a couple who actually extended their hand uh, to a woman in Mongolia. And it's done a little bit creatively through some of our media team. Um, and I'd love to um, show it to you and give you just a window into a real story of how someone extends a hand of generosity in this particular case. And then I want to tell you um, just another story before we close this morning. So let's get the video. Argun had attended our church for several years but she often seemed distant and self-conscious. We had seen very little evidence of her spiritual life, but recently something changed. She joined a small group and started to participate more in the services. Unknown to us, during that same time period, 
God was working in the hearts of a couple who had visited us from overseas. They had prayed and asked God to lead them to a needy family with whom they could leave a gift to help them through the winter. We had suggested other families that had greater needs, but the couple was quite sure that God was prompting them to give to Argun. For various reasons, the gift was delayed, but in the end, the timing was perfect because of what God was doing in Argun's heart. She had said, the week before I received that gift, it was the first time I really cried out to God in prayer. And I had already been in the church for eight years. When the gift arrived, Argun was amazed. God heard my prayer and he answered my cry for help above and beyond what I expected. On the following Sunday, we were amazed by her boldness in testifying to God's goodness. When she stood up in the service, she looked like a changed person. Even her posture was different. In the past, she had often covered up the side of her face where a stroke had left her mouth crooked. This time, she seemed unconcerned about appearance. By the end of her testimony, Argun was holding her Bible high above her head and preaching to all of us about how we needed to cry out to God and be ready to experience His gracious help. This family has put a fire in my house, she said, but God has put a fire in my heart. One story of a couple extending a hand prayerfully and not knowing what that impact was going to be and how it actually, um, in turn, allowed Argun to come and extend her hand to the church and actually invite them to call out to God into a deeper dependence on him. One last story from workers uh, in Central Asia uh, in restricted access uh, place. Told, they told me about a young man that we'll call Omar this morning. And Omar had been listening to late night Christian infomercials in his country. That's one of the ways the gospel gets out is these sort of late night uh, little infomercial shows on TV. And he'd seen one and there's a number across the screen and was piqued enough that he called the number and gave them his name. And, uh, well, that infomercial was the first hand extended to him. And then the, the, the company that does the TV shows gathers all the information and then they send out to the local, closest church uh, to that person uh, the information so that they can make a phone call and actually start some form of relationship. And there's a lot of screening and vetting that goes on. But that little church um, is the only evangelical church in a population of about 6 million people. And they got his number, and they called him secondhand, reaching out to him. And after a number of conversations over the phone, he said, I want to become a Christian. I want to give my life to Jesus. And so they were able to meet and gather and pray for him. And he became a part of their fellowship Another hand extended to him. He now had a church body. But the cost was great. Because 
He had taken hold of the father's hand, but his uh, job um, fired him because he'd become a believer. His fiance um, rejected him, and his family kicked him out as a young adult. So, uh, you know, whose hands? Whose hand is holding his gods tightly and lovingly? And this church community is extending their hand to him, and he hasn't let go. He's even actually been beaten up for his faith by friends who said, hey, come over, we want to hear your story. And, and instead what they did was beat him up. Uh, that hand grips him tight and all the other hands that have been extended to him. So he holds on and he testifies to uh, God's faithfulness and is now extending his hand. One more guy... Um, uh, one of our national leaders in another restricted access country was arrested by the police or or stopped by the police because they know he's a believer. And his grip is firm in the father's hand. And so he sees this as a prime opportunity to witness. So goes to the police station and he just starts sharing uh, the gospel to a spellbound crew of police officers. They heard his story as he extended his hand to them. And then they just released him. No repercussions. It's incredible. What are the opportunities that are waiting for us as we extend our hand? But we don't extend our hand unless we live in the truth that we're gripped tightly in the Father's hand and that he's removed the stain of our guilt, that he's created in us his heart, who we really are, and his Holy Spirit renews us day by day by day. I want to close by rereading that Psalm 51 passage and asking, uh, where are you at in what I've shared this morning? Whose hand are you holding? Do you know your stain is gone? This is going to be the Passion Translation, just another uh, creative uh, telling of these verses of David's request before God. Hide my sins from your face. Erase all my guilt by your saving grace. Keep creating in me a clean heart. Fill me with pure thoughts and holy desires ready to please you. Let my passion for life be restored, tasting joy in every breakthrough you bring to me. Hold me close to you with a willing spirit that obeys whatever you say. Then I can show other guilty ones how loving and merciful you are. They will find their way back home to you, knowing that you will forgive them. Amen.